Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lance. It is our goal to build up believers and reach out with God's truth to all people. Now here's today's message with Pastor Michael. To be holy is to be like God, to be set apart from the ordinary. God is obviously the category of, he's, he's the definition of holiness, and uh, if we want, let's let's all turn to uh, Deuteronomy 32. So you're going to go back a few pages. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy 32. This is um, at the end of Moses' life, Deuteronomy 32. And we are in verse 27. 32, 27. Had I not feared the provocation by the enemy? 32, 27 lest their adversary should misjudge, lest they should say, Our hand is triumphant, and the Lord has not done all this. For they are a nation lacking counsel, and there is no understanding in them. Would that they were wise, that they understood this, that they would discern their future. How could one chase a thousand, and two put ten thousand to flight, unless their rock had sold them, and the Lord had given them up? Indeed, their rock is not like our rock. Even our enemies themselves judge this. For their vine is from the vine of Sodom, and from the fields of Gomorrah their grapes are grapes of poison, their clusters bitter. Their wine is the venom of serpents and the deadly poison of cobras. Is it not laid up in store with me, sealed up in my treasuries? Vengeance is mine and retribution. In due time their foot will slip, for the day of their calamity is near, and the impending thing, uh, things are hastening upon them. For the Lord will vindicate his people and will have compassion on his servants. When he sees their strength is gone and there is none remaining, bond or free. And he will say, where are their gods? The rock in which they sought refuge, who ate the fat of their sacrifices and drank the wine of their libation. Let them rise up and help you. Let them be your hiding place. See now that I am he, and there is no God besides me. It is I who put to death and give life. I have wounded, and it is I who heal, and there is no one who can deliver from my hand. Indeed, I lift up my hand to heaven, and I say, as I live forever, if I sharpen my flashing sword, and my hand takes hold on justice, I will render vengeance on my adversaries. I will repay those who hate me. I will make my arrows drunk with blood, my sword shall devour flesh, with the blood of the slain and the captives, from the long-haired leaders of the enemy. Rejoice, O nations, with his people, for he will avenge the blood of his servants, and will render vengeance on his adversaries, and will atone for his land and his people. Now I mentioned to you that back in First Samuel that Hannah begins to rejoice over her enemies, plural. <clears throat> and we say, wait a minute, isn't this a song of grace? Sure it is. But grace also includes that God's going to deal with our enemies. One of the ultimate expressions of grace is that God is going to deal with the twin enemies of sin and what? And death. That's an expression of grace. Hannah could see it immediately in her own life circumstance with a provoker and with difficulty around her. But she's saying, look, there's no rock like our God. He's holy. Look at verse 2 in 1 Samuel 2. Indeed, there is no one besides him. He alone is God, and nor is there any rock like our God. When you think of a rock, 
often an image of God, think of stability. Think of something immovable. Jesus said you can build your house on sand or on a rock. That's what it means. Jesus is the stone or the rock that the builders rejected, but he has become the chief cornerstone. He is the one that holds everything together. And Hannah is expressing this by saying, Lord, there's nobody like you. There's nobody beside you. You alone are God. I could take you to a lot of passages that affirm that. But she may be speaking to the life uh, circumstance of the nation, as I mentioned, after um, God had parted the Red Sea and the Egyptian army was drowned in the sea, Moses and the sons of Israel sang this song to the Lord. They said, I will sing to the Lord for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song he has become my salvation. This is my God and I will praise him, my father's God and I will extol him. This is Exodus fifteen eleven. Who is like you among the gods, O Lord? Who is like you? Majestic in holiness, awesome in praises, working wonders. This is God. And whenever God works in your life, he begins to birth a song of grace. Now, for some people who are songwriters, that can come out in a song. For other people, that can come out in a poem. When I first got saved, I started writing poems. I didn't even like to read books. And the Lord began to give me poems. And I wanted to share these poems. And I remember having a discussion with a brother in the Lord, and I said, I don't know where these poems come from. And he goes, yeah, you do. And I went, oh, yeah. Yeah, I do. And there were ways for me to get out what God's grace was doing in my life. There were ways to put on paper what I was feeling in my heart. And that's not a bad thing to do when you're going through something, maybe to even document that in some way. Lord, who is like you? Who delivers the afflicted from him who is too strong for him? Psalm 35, uh, 10 Isaiah 44, 6 and 7 says, Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first, I am the last, there is no God besides me, and who is like me? He goes on to say, Is there any God besides me, or is there any other rock I know of none? That's Isaiah 44, 6 through 8. Nowhere else you can really lean. Nowhere else you can really look. He is it. But isn't it cool to have a rock like our God? Amen. Amen. There is no other rock like our God. A firm foundation. And so she continues to address the enemy. She says, Boast no more, 1 Samuel 2, 3, so very proudly. Do not let arrogance come out of your mouth. For the Lord is a God of true knowledge. NIV says, The Lord is a God who knows. And with him, actions are weighed. Now, if you're going through something right now, and maybe it seems unfair. Remember, year after year, Panina provoked Hannah. And this seemed to go on for many, many years. It wasn't just a, you know, a one-time event. She was provoked year after year after year. And when that happens, here's the kind of questions that emerge from our souls. Why God? I know you're a God of deliverance. I know you're a God of grace. But why have you allowed this to go on for so long? Right? It's often not until we've come to the end of something that we can see the wisdom in it. And sometimes even when we look back, we don't always, we're not always able to connect the dots because God says, my ways are not your ways. And so that's where faith comes in and we're going to trust the Lord. But now when she looks back, she says, look, 
Anybody who's arrogant, she may be thinking of Penina here. God knows what you were up to. God saw what you were doing. Sometimes when somebody seems to be getting away with something, we say, you know what? Uh, This seems unfair, right? But God knows. Now, in, in Hannah's song, or the grace song, she's rejoicing in the fact that God knows. I think that's pretty cool, personally. Because that does my heart good. That tells me that there's, there's a beauty in God's sovereignty and omniscience because he's going to weigh actions. I told you to hold a finger in Luke. Would you go back there? Luke 1. As we look back at Mary's song, just for a quick moment, we'll find some similar language. Luke 1. I have a, a class of elementary school kids. A lot of them are 11 and 12 years old. I teach them at the public school. I teach them a Bible study I've shared with you once a week for an hour. A lot of them are uh, right in this area of 12 going on 13. And I told them that Mary, when she was uh, told by the angel that she's going to be the mother of the Messiah, may have been 13 or 14 years old. You should have seen their faces. Era. What? I said, seriously, in that culture, that's how it worked. And we looked at the story when Jesus was 12 and he he was in the temple at the Passover and mom and dad were looking for him. We had a great time talking about that. But we were talking about how much he was sold out even at a young age for his mission. And Mary, in her song, Luke 1.51, says this. He has done mighty deeds or he has performed mighty deeds with his, arms, with his arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. And then she goes on, to rejoice in the Lord by saying he has brought down rulers from their thrones. He has exalted those who were humble. You can think of Moses, David, even Hannah, and Mary herself. And he has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. In the Song of Grace, back to 1 Samuel 2, Mary's going to pray about divine reversals. She's going to say, God, you have a way of taking what looked weak and making it strong. And I am a living example of that. One of the great things you can get a hold of as a Christian is that you become a trophy of grace. For people who watch your life and maybe they knew you in the past and they're wondering why God would even use somebody like you, you become a trophy of grace. God rejoices, (laughs) celebrates in doing things this way. And so here's what he says. Here's what she says in the prayer. This is 1 Samuel 2.4. The bows of the mighty are shattered. Bows speak of military might. But the feeble gird on strength. Now notice the reversal. All of a sudden, the bows that look so strong, they are what? They're shattered. And the feeble, who looked like they could do nothing, now they gird or they clothe themselves with strength. You see, God, ultimately, when the world is going to be made right again, it's going to be a time of divine reversals. What looked weak, will be strong. What looked like it was nothing will inherit everything. And those who look like they had everything will have nothing, even less than nothing. Look at verse 5. Those who were full hired themselves out for bread. Now they're looking around for bread, trying to find a way just to eat. But those who were hungry ceased to hunger. And then notice the personal touch of the prayer. Even the barren, that was Hannah, gives birth to seven. That might be a reference to perfection. But she who has many children, now what happens to her? She languishes. Now, I don't know if she is thinking of Panina exactly, but you got to see a little hint of it 
Like, Lord, you've turned this whole thing around, and now the woman that thought she had everything, well, it's, she's not looking as big anymore. She didn't have much to boast about anymore. And now I have bread. You know, Jesus is the bread of life. He has made me full when I was once barren. In Mary's song, she says, He has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers Abraham and his offspring forever. God has a way of turning things around. You might be in a tough spot right now, but God has a way of turning things into uh, positives. He has a way of working, how many? All things together for good to those who love God. The Lord kills, verse 6, and he makes alive. He brings down to Sheol, which speaks of the grave, and he raises up. God, you could even add here, opens and closes the womb. He's sovereign. The word grave refers to the place of the dead for both the righteous and the wicked. The sovereign God who brings death also brings us up from the grave. This verse I'm reading from a study Bible may refer to God's power to resurrect the dead. This speaks of God's total authority over life and death and the entire course of a human's life. As a matter of fact, we're about to see that God's going to kill both of Eli's sons because they were worthless men, and Eli is going to die too because he was a very poor leader and a poor father. And in a chapter where Samuel will now be given this uh, open path to leadership, other people are going to fall. And God's saying, I'm in control of that too. I've given these people a space of time, and I'm going to raise up one, and I'm going to bring down another to the grave, and If that shocks any of you that God kills and makes alive, just take a look at your Bible. (laughs) I mean, not only Old Testament stories, Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5, they show up, they lie about what they're giving, and God killed both of them. Now, this, of course, is a part of God that not a lot of people are comfortable with. That's because we don't always preach the full nature of who God is. It's within God's abilities or power or whatever you want to call it, holiness, to lift one up and take another one out. And he does do that. He, he raises a king up and lays him down. Nebuchadnezzar, he said, Nebuchadnezzar, you don't want to uh, affirm that I'm the one that gave you your power? You'll get to eat grass for seven years. Bye-bye. No haircut, long nails, and you can eat grass for a while until you realize that God is sovereign over man. Uh, in Daniel, it's the very God who holds your breath. Did you know that your next breath is a gift from God? You know, that's part of the problem that we have in today's world is people truly don't fear God as the life giver. He gives life, but he can take it away if he wants to. Now, God's not behind everything that happens. Let's not broad brush here and, and, and not come to a biblical place. But the point is that God... Uh, does what he wants because he is the all-powerful ruler. The Lord makes poor, seven, and rich. He brings low and he also exalts. If you have a place of prominence right now, count yourself blessed, but the Lord could take away your position as surely as he gave it to you. And people who are famous or wealthy, they could lose their wealth overnight. We know in the dot-com era when All those people went from millionaires to having nothing overnight because the stock market tanked. It can happen. 
And so that's why you don't put your eggs in that basket. He raises the poor from the dust, eight. He lifts the needy from the ash heap. The ash heap was a collection, a dumping point for human refuse and ashes from uh, people baking things. It used to be the place where beggars sat to beg for alms. They would sit in the dump and beg. And if you've ever seen someone in that position, you know, we've, we've seen it in certain contexts, people looking like, man, they're done. We wonder, how can anybody be lifted from the ash heap of even their own sin? But God lifts the needy from the ash heap and he makes them sit with nobles. These are again our divine turnarounds in our prayer. And inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and he set the world on them. Now this is a metaphor, pillars is, but you can see what it says. It, it, it means that if the Lord is the one that placed the earth where it is, he has no problem raising up one who looks like they could never rise again and putting down another who looks like there's no way he could ever be moved. You know how some people over history have looked like they're never going to be moved from that position. It seems impenetrable. That wall's never going to come down. Well, if God decides that it's time, then it's going to come down. He's the one that set the earth on its pillars. The earth is the Lord's, and he set the world on them. Uh, it is I who have firmly set its pillars, Selah, that's Psalm 75, verse 4. The church of the living God is the pillar and support of the truth. That's our, if you guys don't know that verse, uh, you need to know it because it's why this is here. You see that? That's a pillar. If you ever wonder, what, what's Living Truth's logo? The church of the living God is the pillar and support of the truth. Think of it this way. The truth is what supports us, and we're supposed to support the truth and protect it. So this church was founded on that principle that we will live by the truth and we will preach and hold up the truth because our very existence depends on it and we are set for the defense and proclamation of the truth and the truth is so important. So he keeps the feet, nine, of his godly ones, but the wicked ones are silenced in darkness, for not by might shall a man prevail. You write in your Bible, there's, I think it's Zechariah 4, 6, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Those who contend with the Lord will be shattered. Against them he will thunder in the heavens. I think this is fast-forwarding all the way to God's judgment. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth, and he, now notice how her prayer will become a prophecy. And he, God, will give strength to his king and will exalt the horn or strength of his anointed. Let me ask you, was there a king in Israel at this point? Answer, no. Had there ever been a king in Israel up to this point? Answer, no. What king is Hannah talking about? Well, all of a sudden, what we begin to see is that in Hannah's prayer, it has become a prophecy. 
She has been anointed by the Holy Spirit. That's why this is in the Bible. And now she turns and she says, look, God's going to shatter the adversary. He's going to thunder from heaven. He's going to judge the world and he will give strength or raise up the horn of his anointed. And the word anointed in Hebrew is the word for the Messiah. Christ in Greek, Christos, is the anointed one. The Mashiach in Hebrew, the Messiah. And all of a sudden, she begins to pray for a king that will be anointed. Her son will anoint David, and the greater David will come, and Mary's whose song, whose parallels, who parallels Hannah's song, is the one who will give birth to the greater David, the Messiah, the anointed one who will deliver all of mankind who trust in him from sin and death. Incredible, isn't it? Hannah has just got a kingdom vision and she wouldn't even see it herself on the earth. But right now, we trust that Hannah has experienced Christ firsthand. Amen? Now here's an application point. I said to you recently that I think that you're beginning to really have a change in your Christian life when you can begin to get a kingdom vision that's not just about the here and now. When you can begin to see that the things that God has placed in your life, if you can say, God, if you will give me this, my sole purpose is to use it for your glory. Your prayers are starting to track with the kingdom vision. If you can say, Lord, I've been praying hard about this. I've been beating the the gates of heaven over this one. Why? Because you want it so bad, Michael? No, Lord, I, I want to see this happen because I know that this will bring you glory and it will bring people to Jesus. If your life is starting to change like that this year, last couple of weeks, last year or two, you, you're beginning to understand a life of grace. Amen? That's, I think, what Hannah's life, Elkanah's life, Samuel's life, and what this is about. Would you bow with me? Lord, we thank you that um, Hannah expressed this wonderful gratitude that is captured in words that I think a lot of us have prayed similarly in just experiencing your glory, the bigness of who you are, your holiness. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. The whole earth is full of your glory. And Isaiah got that picture of who you, who you are and He saw you high and lifted up and the train of your robe filling the temple and heard the angels sing, holy, 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 man. He realized who he was, but then you touched his mouth and you said, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah said, here I am, Lord, send me. Lord, when we can get to that point of seeing who you are and then seeing the potential of who we can be in you, well, we know that There's no less words that we could utter than, here I am, Lord, send me. However you would apply that to each of our lives tonight, Lord, is really where we need to be because this is not just about a time to ingest truth. This is a time to live out truth. We need to do both. It's true, we need to be fed, we need to take in, but then we need to give out. And so, Lord, may we say, may we not worry about what other people are saying, May we say, as for me and my house, 
we will serve the Lord. Here I am. Here we are. Send us. Thank you that Hannah did that, Lord. Even though you had brought her to a point of barrenness and brokenness, we know you even use that in our lives. And sometimes before you greatly use a man or a woman, or for that matter, I think all the time, you must break them. Break them of what they want so that they can get a kingdom vision. Tonight, would you refresh kingdom visions in this room? And would you also, Lord, give fresh insights as to what we can do to extend your kingdom for your glory? We pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Lord, our grace, all that we need. It's in his holy name we pray. Amen. If you would like to listen to this message, or if you would like more information about the ministry of Living Truth, please visit our website at livingtruthcorona.org. That's livingtruthcorona.org. And so there's no one like our God. That's what... Hannah says next, she says, There is no one holy like the Lord indeed. There is no one besides thee, nor is there any rock like our God. She was filled up and she poured it out before the Lord. And that's one of the beauties of worship is that we get filled up with the beauty of God, with his holiness, and and we want to pour out our praise before him. There's no rock like him. You know, worship is such a beautiful experience because The Bible says that God inhabits the praises of his people in Psalm 22. It says that, you know, God is near to us. When we express worship to him, I believe he touches us back in a a special way. I don't know how it all works, but I do know this, that God meets us as we bow to him in worship. And that's what Hannah did in Hannah's song. You know, she reflected on God's goodness. And when we think about singing to the Lord, we, we think about the attributes of God. We think about the actions of God. We think about the goodness of God. And we think about the fact that he is sensitive even to little old me. You see, he raises us up to new life in Christ. And that's the beauty of what it means to worship. Has worship been a regular part of your life lately? Have you been a person who's been investing in worship? Do you sing praises to the Lord? Do you have worship music on? Do you come into the service with intent of worship? You know, something does happen to us when we enter into praises, when we praise his name, when we decide not to be anxious for anything, but instead we pray and praise the Lord. When we do, something special does happen in our lives. It's the beauty of what worship's all about. It's an expression of the life of God in the believer. And um, I would just encourage you to let Hannah's song minister to you if you've been going through a tough time. Maybe one of the things that you can do is worship anyway and see how God works in your life and see how he even changes your perspective. Thank you for listening to today's program. Our mission is to get the truth of God's Word out. This is our passion. We want to impact as many people as possible. And we have an opportunity to expand this radio program, and we need you, the listener, to partner with us in prayer and in giving. 
You can give to our ministry through our website at livingtruthcorona.org. That's livingtruthcorona.org.